Our passage today is John chapter 10, verses 1 through 21. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? All right. Thank you, Natalie. I go ahead and get situated here. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, my name's Adam. For those of you who don't know me, I am one of the pastors here at Citizens Church. Uh, and I'll forewarn you all, uh, every Sunday morning I actually am taking Spanish tutoring lessons, and so this morning we were working on translating my sermon into Spanish. So I apologize if I accidentally start talking about Jesucristo y su ovejas instead of Jesus and his sheep. <laughs> but as you just heard today, a passage that Natalie just read for us, uh, much of this is about Good Shepherd uh, and about sheep. And personally, whenever I think of sheep, I think of this video that comes to mind. Uh, there's a sheep that is in a field, and he's actually caught uh, in a crevice. And a man sees the sheep suck, and so he goes over, and he wants to help pull him out. So he pulls the sheep out, uh, and the sheep is very excited to be free. He's jumping around. I personally didn't know sheep could jump, but that was cool. So the sheep's jumping around, and he turns, and he jumps right back into the hole that the man pulled him out of. And the man just stands there shaking his head and says, this is ridiculous. And I think to myself, that's like, that's such a dumb sheep, and that's hilarious. But then I realize that that's me, because the Bible depicts us who are God's children as sheep. That's me because I'm the dumb sheep that gets stuck in patterns of sin. God pulls me out. He shows me the way to life of truth, of peace. 
And what I do in response is I, I forget God. And I turn back to my sin and I jump right back into the hole, forgetting the problem that it was in the first place. Now, if we're honest, this is all of us. This is all of us getting caught and returning again and again to sinful patterns. We forget the past, we forget the consequences of our sins, and we turn, we forget God, and we turn back to our sins. We make mistakes con- constantly. We are unable to perfectly lead ourselves. This is always an issue that we have in our lives. So in response to this, what we need, what we need is a good shepherd. We need someone who's going to lead us the right way. We need someone who's going to show us the ways to life. And we all desire this, and this is clear in our hearts because we're always looking for someone. We're always looking for something to show us how to live a life, a true life that is better than what we have currently. We're always seeking for something better. Now, in this passage, we have the Pharisees, we have the religious leaders of this age, and these were the people that were supposed to lead God's people uh, into life. But instead, they led people astray. They led people into idols, idols of self-righteousness, of man-made religion, and they led people away from Christ. As Carter talked about this last week in chapter 9, we saw a blind man. Jesus heals a blind man, and the blind man is so excited and thankful for what Christ has done for him. And so the Pharisees say to him that he needs to renounce Christ. And he says that he's unwilling to do it. And so ultimately they cast him out. They cast him out of society. And we think of this and we must understand how awful this is. To be someone who has someone that they trust in so dearly, yet eventually to find out that those people were the ones who were leading you astray all along. Now, we all know that person in our own lives, that person that we have watched walk down paths that we know are the wrong ways. People that we know are being led astray. They're believing lies. And we see it, and we pray for them, and we try to give them advice. We hope for them. But it's heartbreaking to watch that happen. And when it happens to us, when we realize that we're the ones who've been been being led astray the entire time, that is devastating. Well, this is what God's people encountered in this day and age. The Pharisees were supposed to lead them, but they were leading them astray all along, away from Jesus. But thankfully, there is good news. Jesus tells us that even though thieves and robbers have been many, those in the Pharisees in this age, false teachers and false prophets before even then, and even today, there is a good shepherd that we can trust, and it's Jesus himself. Jesus even exemplifies this for us in chapter 9 because after the man, the blind man, is cast out by the Pharisees, Jesus goes and finds him himself and essentially says, you can find hope in me. So in John 10 today, we're going to explore more about the reality of the good shepherd. And we're going to see three things that Jesus really wants us to focus on today. And so number one is that we need a good shepherd. We need to understand why we need a good shepherd. Two is how Jesus himself is that good shepherd that we've needed all along. And three is how in response we can be good sheep. So let's pray now and ask God to be with us as we go ahead and dive into this word. Lord, we just want to praise you. Praise you and thank you, Lord, that you are in fact a good shepherd, Lord. We pray that you show us this reality, that you make this real to us, Lord. Give us a greater love for you, for Christ, and understanding of how, though there have been many false leaders, people that have led us astray, Lord, that we can trust in you. Help us to understand that. Help us to understand why and how we can trust in you, Lord. Lead us in truth, I pray, as we dive into this word today, Lord. Open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts to understand this truth that you have for us, Lord. I pray and praise you in your name. Amen. 
All right. So why do we need a good shepherd? Uh, let's start again by reading verses 1 through 5. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not understand the voice of strangers. Now, if we want to understand Jesus' analogy about the shepherd of sheep here, we need to understand what the life actually looked like for a shepherd of sheep, right? So allow me to kind of describe for you what that was like uh, in that day and age to be a shepherd. So the figure of the Judean hills and the shepherd was pretty common, pretty known to everyone. It's a very common job. Uh, Judea, the area was mainly very rocky, so it wasn't great for like farming or growing crops, but rather a better place to raise sheep. Even though the grass wasn't plentiful, it was better than uh, farming. Now, the life of the shepherd was hard, always outside, always against the elements, uh, and day and night, heat and cold, all kinds of weather conditions constantly having to lead their sheep. We also see that sheep tend to wander away from the shepherd. And outside the sheepfold, there really was no protective wall. So this was the responsibility of the shepherd outside of the sheepfold. Uh, now this area in Judea was a narrow plateau, typically. It was bordered by crevices, too. And so it was very easy for sheep to fall into, to get stuck, to be trapped. And watching over sheep was no easy task because they constantly wander off. And if one of them wanders off, others would typically follow them without even thinking otherwise. And ultimately, they have very poor depth perception and ability to notice small details, hence the jumping into holes. And even if we talk about rams, they were described as ones never to be trusted, even if you raise them from their youth, because they would just randomly turn aggressive and they would hurt you. And so from the outside, we see that sheep appear to look not so intelligent, and they're very difficult to raise. It was also very easy for sheep to get lost, to be assaulted, and to be killed by predators. There was actually danger all around from predatory animals and even thieves who thought to steal the sheep for their wool and for their meat. So every day was a hard day for the shepherd leading the sheep, guiding them, protecting them. So if someone wanted to be a great shepherd, this required that they were constantly vigilant of all the threats facing their sheep, to attack their sheep. They had to be courageous to stand and fight in the face of these predators, these thieves, these robbers, and the wolves. And they had to be very loving to their sheep. If they did not love and care for them in every way humanly possible, then these sheep would not last. So Jesus uses this model of a shepherd of sheep to help show us what a shepherd of man should actually look like. So starting in verse 1, Jesus talks about a sheepfold. Now, we're not just talking about uh, the pen of the sheep with a gate in it, but this actually represents God's kingdom uh, and the children of Israel. And so we know that this is specifically referring to the children of Israel because we see in verse 16 that Jesus tells us that he has other sheep that are of another flock, but ultimately they will come together and there will be one flock and one shepherd. And then in verses 2 through 5, Jesus describes what a good shepherd of man does. He tells us that a good shepherd of man calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. So this means that a good shepherd of man, he would know his people intimately. He would lead his people, he would care for his people, he would love them. And also a good shepherd of man, he would go before them, and the sheep, the man, would follow them, for they know his voice. So this means that a good shepherd man had to be someone who would protect his people, to be the first line of defense of anyone seeking to attack his people, and ultimately the people would trust that man, and they will follow him. 
Now, this model of a good shepherd is for us drawn in contrast to a bad shepherd of man. Those Jesus refers to here as thieves, robbers, and strangers. We see that in verse 1. He says that man is a thief and a robber. Now, this does most directly represent the Pharisees, but also represents all the false teachers and false prophets that have come before Jesus. All these people have sought to lead the people astray for their own benefit and not for the glory of God. They were essentially robbing God's people of truth. They were teaching another way of salvation. And this form of salvation followed man-made principles rather than a true worship of God and a submission to Christ. I think 2 Peter uh, chapter 2, 1-3 explains this well. Uh, so I'll read this for you. It says, There will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. And their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them, and their destruction has not been sleeping. Now these false teachers, these thieves, and these robbers, they do not care for you. They are selfish, they are greedy, they care for themselves, and you are simply a means to an end for them. They do not know their people intimately, and they do not care for them. They do not lead their people properly into truth. They do not protect them from lies and destructive heresies, and they are certainly not ones to be trusted. Now, Jesus is calling out his audience of Pharisees here as the thieves and the robbers. Now, if we actually try to think back in the Old Testament to the good shepherds of old God has placed before us, we think of those like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, and David. Now, these men were not only shepherds of sheep, but they were shepherds of men, and that God called them to lead his people. But actually, the audience here would have known that the most well-known shepherd of the Old Testament was God himself. I'll read a couple verse references to show you that. Psalm 23, 1 tells us, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Psalm 77, 20 says, You led your, flock, your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Isaiah 40.11 says that he will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms and he will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Now the Old Testament is absolutely littered with references of God as a shepherd. But God actually also prophesied that long ago that there would be intended shepherds who would fail, that he put in that position that, would be, that they would lead the people astray. And so this is a long passage, but I want you to read this with me. It's going to be in Ezekiel 34. I'm going to start uh, reading in verse 2. It says, Thus says the Lord, Shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat and you clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened. The sick you have not healed. The injured you have not bound up. The strayed you have not brought back. The lost you have not sought. And with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered. Because there was no shepherd, they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth, with none to search or seek for them. Then continuing in verse 10, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves, I will rescue my sheep from their mouths, that they may not be food for them. Now see, see the response of God that follows, starting in verse 11. 
For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep. And I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land and on rich pasture. They shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. So we see that long ago that God promised to personally himself be the shepherd of his sheep that he would put an end to the injustice, to those who have led his sheep astray, that he would punish those who have done wrong, that he would save his own children. We see that. We see these constant I statements. He says, I myself will search for the sheep. I will rescue them. I will bring them out from the people. I will feed them with good pasture. I will make them lie down, and I will bring back the strayed. Now, this passage in Ezekiel 4 actually speaks to a greater reality, which is we need God as a shepherd. No one can perfectly fill this role to lead us into the true ways of life except for God himself. Others cannot be trusted to perfectly lead us that way. They needed God as their shepherd then, and we need God as our good shepherd now. We need someone who knows us intimately, who knows our needs, who knows our thoughts, who knows our deeds, who knows our desires. We need someone who loves us and desires our growth, who desires what's best for us. And we need someone who can reconcile us back to God for the sin that we committed separated us from God. And who can do this? Who has the power to do this besides God himself? Now, everyone is always trying to teach us the way to true life, we mentioned before. But how can we trust them? Are these people that know us? Are these people that care for us? Do these people have the power to protect us and to lead us? Do these people have the ability to reconcile us back to God for the sins that we've committed? And the answer, of course, is no. They care for themselves They care for their own desires, and they do not have the ability to lead us as we need. Yet, for some reason, we're still tempted. We're still led astray. Why? Because we are sinful people. We're attracted to instant gratification. We need the call of one that leads to true life. We need God himself to be that good shepherd for us. So, our point then is, how is Jesus? How is Jesus going to respond to this? So, continue with me in verse 7. Let's see what Jesus has to say, and as I read this, I want you to focus on all the I statements here uh, as well. So Jesus said to them, sorry, verse 7, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved, and he will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He was a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming. He leaves the sheep and he flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand. He cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay my life down for the sheep. And I have other sheep who are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. 
so there will be one flock and one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. And no one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. So we see a lot of interesting I statements here as well. Jesus says, I am the door. I came to give life and give it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. I know my own. He calls the sheep his own. I lay my life down for the sheep. I take my life up again. I have authority, and I have received this charge from my Father. Do you see what Jesus is saying here? Jesus is saying that the role of the good shepherd that God prophesied long ago in Ezekiel 34, he says, I am stepping into that role. I am the one who's going to be the ultimate shepherd that God had prophesied who's going to save God's children. I am the good shepherd, for the Father has given me this charge and this responsibility. Now, this is an extremely bold claim because we know that in Ezekiel 34, God said, I myself am going to be the one to save my sheep. So Jesus, by saying this, isn't just saying he's a good shepherd, but by aligning himself with the prophecy, he is saying that he is God and that he is the only one who leads to true life. So what does that mean for us? If Jesus truly is, and he truly is the good shepherd, then what are the implications that we can take away from this? Well, he tells us. Verse 14, he tells us, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Jesus knows his sheep intimately. He knows all his people intimately. Now, this knowledge is more than just a knowledge of who you are. For example, I know who John the Apostle is. I know about him, but I don't know his desires, his needs, his thoughts. I don't know everything there is to know about him. The knowledge that Christ has for us is much deeper than that. It is a perfect personal understanding of us and a commitment to his people. Have you ever even had that a fear or a thought uh, where you were like, what if this person finds out this thing about me, my, this thing that I did or this thought that I had? Like, they'll never look at me the same again. We all have this. We all have secrets to some extent. And it's not always because we're trying to be deceptive. It is um, impossible to fully know someone and to be fully known. But sometimes we are still sinful and perfect people. And we don't want others to know all of our thoughts and all of our deeds because we know that they are evil. There are not many heartbreaking pains worse than when a person rejects you even after getting to know a part of you. Now, I'll put this into perspective. For many of us in this room, we know today that the dating uh, scene can be very difficult. The online dating scene has turned what is dating into a more consumeristic pattern uh, than has ever been throughout history. And so there is a facade that exists that says, oh, like there's so many options out there for me. We just swipe at the touch of our finger. And so why would I settle for anything less than is perfect for me in my situation? And so what happens as a result is there is a great fear of man that is established. Even as people try to date, they, they want to hide everything that's inadequate about themselves because they know that the other person can run at the sign of anything negative and that they will. Well, praise God that he does not treat us the same way that we treat other people in this regard. Jesus, as our good shepherd, he knows everything about us. He knows our thoughts. He knows our deeds. He knows our desires. He knows our hearts. And he accepts, he accepts us. But not as we are. He accepts us as he is because of the cross. And he transferred to us his beauty and his righteousness. So when the God the Father looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Christ. And even more so, not only does Jesus know everything we know about ourselves, but he knows everything we don't even know about ourselves. He knows us down to the very core of our hearts. 
And even through all of that, knowing the worst things of our hearts, Jesus still loves us who are his. And is a love that holds a strong commitment and an unbreakable bond. One in which that allows Jesus to say to the Father that I have lost none of those who you have given me into my hand. The next implication we see is that Jesus protects his sheep. He lays his life down for them. So read that with me in verse 11. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He was a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep, sees a wolf coming. He leaves the sheep and he flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. Now the hired hand flees, but Jesus, he stays and he protects us as people. He protects us from the wolf, which is our natural enemy, the sheep, which is the devil and those who do his bidding. So namely the false teachers and the false prophets. He protects us from sin and death. He protects us from the very wrath of God. He protects us by laying down his life for us that none of these things may have a hold over us. Now, I want to try to take a moment to try to fully explain the fullness of what it means that Jesus gave his life for us, and though just a part even. So as Ben read for us earlier in Psalm 23, we see many correlations there. See, it says that he makes us lie down in green pastures, yet Jesus himself was laid down in a grave. It says he comforts us with his rod and his staff, Yet there was no comfort for Jesus as he was beaten with a rod and a staff. We see that he prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies. Yet Jesus himself was overcome by the presence of his enemies. We see that he walks through the valley of shadow of death, but Jesus ventured beyond the valley of shadow of death and even into hell for our sakes. It says that Psalm 23 also tells us that our cup overflows. Yet Jesus completely drank the cup of the Father's wrath. So every beautiful promise that we see is found true in Christ, especially as we look at Psalm 23. These things are only possible because Jesus had to live just the opposite, that they may be true for us, that we may receive these amazing realities. Who here, if you had a friend who lost a job, would say, you can have my job and I'll go joblessness for your sake? Or even a friend who lost a car, and you'd say, here, you can have my car and I will be carless for your sake. Or even who here would be willing to take a bullet to save the life of their enemy, the person that they dislike the most? Well, we see that Jesus gave up everything for our sake and without hesitation. Praise be to Christ our Lord, who did not run from the opportunity to die for our sins, but took on this responsibility with joy. And I don't want us to be ashamed as we consider these things, but I want us to look at these truths and marvel at Jesus, marvel at the character of Christ, and be thankful that he has done all the things for us that we cannot do ourselves. Now, the third implication that he wants us to see here is that he saves his sheep and he leads them into pasture. So read that with me in verse 17. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down. I have the authority to take it up again. This charge I receive from my Father. And also in verse 8, he says, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Now, this pasture represents for us a future reality that is eternal life with our God in the kingdom forever. And when we think of this future pasture, we, we should think of bliss. We should think of true joy, true freedom, without worry or sorrow or pain or guilt, but it's freedom from the sin and the chains of death. It is perfect life in the hands of a holy God. And one of my favorite verses in the Bible is 1 Corinthians 2.9, which tells us that no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor heart of man imagined the things that God has in store for those who love him. 
No one knows, no one knows exactly how amazing the future kingdom will be with Christ. We do know a few things. There's a few things we can hold our hope on, we can remember. One being that we know that there will be pleasures at the right hand of the Father forevermore. We know that there will be no more sorrow nor tears, for the former things will have passed away. And we know that the corruption of sin will be undone, and all that is left is to perfectly enjoy God forever without any hindrance like we have today. Now this, this should be something that amplifies our hope that our future reality is so much greater than anything we can imagine even here. We should be able to look upon the evil of this world and even all the disappointment. And we can endure and have peacefulness in knowing that God can be trusted to make all things new. And he's coming again to make all things perfect. Now, there is also a present reality of coming in and out of pasture, which means that life is far more rich for us, actually, as Christians. That's greater meaning when we can understand these things in the light of Christ. So, for example, we are far better able to love our spouses when we appreciate the love uh, that Christ had for us, his church, his bride. We're given a much greater joy for our children, even, because we love them just as God loves and provides for us who are his children. And we're even better able to enjoy the little things in life because we don't feel the need to pursue ultimate satisfaction in things of the earth. Because we know that all that is coming when Christ returns. So we are free to just enjoy and be thankful for what the Lord has provided in its time. Now, because Jesus is the good shepherd, the response for us is we must respond by being good sheep. So how do we do that? Well, verse 4 tells us that the sheep, they know his voice. And so this is important for us. We must know the voice of Christ. Now, this voice Jesus is not referring to an audible voice of God or even a thought that comes into our head, but rather an understanding of the will and the wisdom of God through an intimate knowledge of his word. Now, I'll even pose this question to you as you consider that. If God were to actually audibly speak to you or even place a thought in your head, how would you know that that was God speaking to you? You would know that by comparing it to his word. Because if it matches what it says in his word, then you know that it is true. But if you know that it does not align with his word, then that is not from God. It all comes back to an intimate knowledge of his word. We should never believe we're receiving new revelation or new thoughts from God that are outside of his word. Now, I know we get tired of hearing this constantly. Read your Bible, read your Bible, you know, be consistent, know God, read your Bible. But I want to share a personal experience of my own relationship with God through his word in my own life how my relationship has grown. So there was a time that I personally suffered quite a lot with health issues. Uh, every day seemingly was something new. No solution really worked. Uh, and every day it seemed like I was smacked in the face with another symptom. And that just caused me to be extremely frustrated, wondering why God would allow me to endure pain consistently over and over again, constantly. And so I determined to myself that I was going to read God's word and I was going to read it until I found the answers that I was looking for. And guess what? I never found what I was looking for. I never found the exact answer. I never found the perfect response that said, Adam, you suffer for these reasons. Or if you desire to be healed, do X, Y, and Z. Because that doesn't exist in the Bible. But you know what I did find is I found the character of God himself. I found the cross. I found Jesus. I found the perfectly innocent and righteous God-man who was brutally tortured and hanged on a cross to pay the penalty for my sins to take on the punishment from God that I deserved personally. So every day that I struggled thereafter, I would look back. I would look back to the cross and I would say to myself, I may not understand why these things are happening, but one thing I do know is true 
is that the answer cannot be that God does not love me because he gave everything for me. Now, this was only possible because I had gained a more intimate knowledge, a personal knowledge and trust in the Lord by seeking him through his word. Knowing the voice of God, it's more than just knowing the words that the Bible says, but it's developing a deep trust in the Lord and understanding through his word. It's having complete trust in Christ, your Savior, because you understand that he is worthy of that trust. So I'm telling you here today, if you're someone who's struggling some of these ways, I'm telling you to submit. Submit yourself wholeheartedly to pursuing God through his word. God will reveal himself to you. He will comfort you and he will lead you because he knows you and he does love you. And another way that we can be good sheep is to not entertain the voice of strangers, as we see in verse 5. And really, the same definition applies here. We should not be putting our faith and trust in someone who is not of Christ, who claims another way to life. Jesus says that I am the door, and there is only one door to the sheepfold. If one doesn't go through Christ, he will not be saved, and he is a thief and a robber. Now, honestly, I initially read this passage, and I knew Jesus was calling the Pharisees thieves and robbers, and I thought, that seemed maybe kind of harsh. Like, they're wrong, but like, are they really thieves and robbers? But later, you keep on reading, and Jesus follows up by saying, they only come to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus is teaching us reality that we need to take this seriously. We need to take seriously those who promote teachings who are not of Christ, they are leading us to death. There's no in-between. There is to life or there is to death. And some of these teachings can be very insidious, such as love is love or do whatever makes you happy. But they completely ignore the total truth. Now, these things are constantly baked into our society, into the shows that we watch, the advertisements we see, the social media that we look into, and even in our own relationships and the leaders that we follow. Steal, kill, and destroy. These are the words Jesus uses to describe the motivations of false teachers. You know, there's, there's also an interesting statistic I read recently. It's kind of old, but it's even telling for today. In 1983, only 7% of TV executives attended church regularly. And so that number has only decreased since then as our society falls further and further away from God. So do you think that these executives, those who produce these content, are actually producing content for the purpose of drawing you closer to God? Of course they're not. So I'm telling you to run, to be cognizant, to run from the voice of strangers and to run into the arms of Christ who actually knows you and loves you and will lead you. Now, if you are a newer believer or someone who's thinking, well, how am I supposed to know if this person is leading me astray or this thing is leading me astray? Well, it's important that you look at the fruit that it is bearing in you. Is it making you look more like Jesus, or is it making you conform more to the image of the world in your own desires and selfish passions? And in wisdom, seek the guidance of your pastor and the, and the more mature Christians that you trust to guide you. Ask these things. Is this leading me astray, or is this leading me to Christ? Now lastly, if we want to be good sheep, Jesus tells us in verse 9 that if anyone enters by him, he will be saved. Now for many of us here today, God has called us, and we responded by repenting of our sins, putting our faith in Jesus, and having been given the Holy Spirit as a deposit of our inheritance. We are saved. Our eternities are forever changed. And we should never forget the beautiful salvation that we have in Christ, because it's fully guaranteed based on his grace and not our own merits. If you're an unbeliever here today, I want to encourage you to put your faith in Jesus. Accept the eternal salvation that he's offering to you. So how do you do that? You do this through an understanding that you are a sinner, 
that you need a good shepherd to lead you into eternal life. And so you must submit yourself to the Lord and saying, Lord, you truly are the good shepherd. I ask forgiveness for all the sins I've committed against you, and I ask you to place upon my heart an undying trust and confidence in Jesus, my Savior, as I seek to follow you the rest of my days. See, we're not saved by our own doing. We're saved by the work of Christ. This is the grace of Christ that is offered to all of us now. And may this be the hope that sustains us for the rest of our days, that we do have a good shepherd who will lead us to life, who is Jesus. So I want us to all leave here today remembering we need a good shepherd. That good shepherd is Jesus. And as he is our good shepherd, we should be good sheep and submit ourselves completely unto him.